peoples or people groups uh, that, that, are, uh, that are the focus of this story. And the first one, of course, we see in verse number one, only a few words into the book, it says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. The first person we see is the Lord. This is encouraging to me. God made our world, but he didn't just make it and leave it hanging. He didn't just set it into going and then just kind of step back and watch what happens. God wants to be involved. God took a step and a, 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 a movement toward being involved. And we see that God is doing that even here in Jonah's life. God says, Jonah, I'm not just watching you live. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the decisions you're making. I want to influence and guide you. I have a plan for you. I have, I have a purpose for you. I have something that I want to do through you. Jonah, I want to be a part of your life. And can I remind us today, God wants to be a part of our lives. Uh, God didn't just save us and then just let us sit. God didn't just say, okay, uh, you're good. Go to church and uh, I'll see you when you, when you die and, and we'll be in heaven together. God has a purpose. God has a goal. God has a reason for us still being here. And Jonah here is about to come face to face with God's will for his life. God has a purpose in, in reaching out. God has a reason to interact with us still. Next, of course, we have Jonah. Jonah is a prophet that's been serving God for uh, probably a number of years already. We have other portions in the Old Testament talk about Jonah giving certain prophecy that uh, portions of land of Israel would be returned to them. And this has already happened. So Jonah right now comes after Elijah. He comes a little while after Elisha. He's really almost the prophet of the nation. He's, he's the focus of the people that this is the man of God that God has been using. He's a prophet. We need to listen to him. And he is there serving the Lord. He's faithful and he's walking with God. And God says to him one day, Jonah, I want you to do something that Jonah doesn't want to do. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. It's a big city. They're very wicked. I need you to go and give them a message for me. And Jonah says, no, thank you. I don't want any part of it. That's okay, God. Maybe you can pick another one for me. Let's have like a raffle or something. Pick another city for me. Jonah here is coming face to face with God's will for his life. And, and Jonah has known what it is to follow God's will before. He knows what it is to live faithful. He knows what it is to be the right kind of believer and Christian and follower of God. And yet, all of a sudden, he gets hit with something that he's not ready for. And it really changes his whole walk thereafter. Jonah really is wonderful, a wonderful reminder to us that all of us are one choice away from walking away from God. One choice away. None of us are at, at many steps removed from walking away from God. Jonah had one choice to make. Am I going to go to Nineveh or no? And then that sets the whole rest of the book into a series of events that we'll, that we'll get into here as well. But number three, I'd like us to look at the city of Nineveh. The city of Nineveh, it says, is a great city. And in Jonah chapter number four, uh, there's, uh, there's some numbers that are mentioned there. He talks about 120,000 that can't discern between their left hand and their right hand. And if you look at that, okay, that, that's interesting. But at the end of the verse, God includes and also much cattle. The reason that that verse is in scriptures is God is telling us that the 120,000 people that he's talking about in Nineveh, it wasn't ignorant people that are so dumb they can't even tell their left hand from their right. He's talking about innocent people. He's talking about children. God is talking about there are 120,000 children between the age of zero and, and however old they get between telling their left hand from the right hand. It's past four months. That's all I know because Riley doesn't know her left from her right. But that's how many children are in this city. Can you imagine how many other adults and teenagers and, and older kids and stuff? This is a huge city. But not only is it a city with a very large population, 
It's a capital of the Assyrian Empire. Now, if you, if you know a lot about Bible history, you'll recognize that name. That was one of the nations that was at war with Israel constantly. Many times they would come against Israel, and sometimes God, uh, God would beat them off. Sometimes God would let them have victory for a little bit. But it was a, a country that had been at consistent war with Israel, and one day in the future would take Israel, that northern kingdom, captive. Jonah probably knew this, knowing the, the other prophets and stuff. He knew that Assyria was an enemy nation. And that Assyria would one day conquer Israel. And here God is telling him, I want you to go to an enemy state. I want you to go to the enemy and I want you to witness to them. I want you to go to the enemy and I want you to warn them that judgment is one day coming and they need to be ready. If you and I were to maybe try to find an example of something like this for us to kind of picture it uh, right now, uh, we're, we're not in any significant war. But if we were to go back to in the 1940s in World War II. Say in the middle and in the heat of World War II, God wakes you up one day and says, I want you to go to Berlin, Germany. And I want you to go right up to Hitler and say, you're wrong. And if you don't stop, God is going to destroy you in 40 days. I mean, you imagine kind of being like, I'm good, God. That's okay. That's all right. That's a long ways away from here. Don't you know there's a war going on? That's what we would be facing if we were really in Jonah's shoes, looking at his situation. God, I don't really like these people. Why should I even go and warn them to begin with? That's Jonah's spirit. That's Jonah's spirit. And as Jonah continues in this spirit and as he uh, comes to the decision, okay, is he going to follow God or not? Really, the book of Jonah has for us three keys for revival. Three keys for revival that we can find from the life of Jonah. Because in the end of the book, we know that the entire city, the Bible says, the whole city turns to God. That whole city gets saved. That's, if you want to find a revival in Scripture, that is one of the greatest ones that you will find. Because it's not just uh, the Israelite people have finally repented and turned back to God. This is a Gentile people. They didn't have Moses. They didn't have all of the other prophets. These were people that had been living against God. They didn't really have God's word. And one man comes in and preaches one message. By the way, we have one message to preach. And this entire city is changed from the top, the king, to the bottom, to the lowest person in the entire city. That's what the book of Jonah has for us. Three keys. First of all, the first key is, is a believer has to be surrendered. Jonah, through chapter 1 and chapter 2, faces a situation where he's got to choose whether he's going to surrender or not. And Jonah's first reaction is like most of our first reaction. When I was first called to preach, I didn't say yes immediately. I was like, oh, that's okay. I don't need to. Oh, God, that's all right. I, I, you know, I don't, I, you know, that's, no, that's okay. That was my first reaction when God called me to preach. And this is Jonah's reaction. When God calls him, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, that's okay. In fact, he goes to the point that maybe God has been dealing with him for a while about this, but Jonah gets to the point he can't stay in Israel any longer. He has to leave, but he's not going to Nineveh, so he's going to go the opposite direction. We see in verse number 3 that he goes to Tarshish, uh, uh, from Tarsh, uh, to flee to Tarshish from Joppa, uh, which was a city there in Israel, a, a port city. Uh, he finds a ship that is going to Tarshish, which is very, very far west. Uh, some say as far as Spain, so it's a very long ways away. And Jonah gets the money, he pays for the, the, the ship, uh, the, the ticket there, gets in the ship, and he does what a lot of us like to do Sunday afternoon. He goes and takes a nap. He gets down into the ship and he starts taking a nap. Can I remind you that even when we're running away from God, there might be that moment of peace? Might be a moment where things are okay for a second. 
But boy, when you wake up, the storm that you'll wake up to, the, the, the terror and things that happen when you're running away from God and you're not in the center of His will. Jonah is, is, is good for now, but before long, God sends this giant storm and tempest into the sea. And the, uh, the men that are on board the ship as they're uh, there with the tackling and they're making sure everything's good as they're moving along, realize that this storm is coming is no joke. This is a very serious storm. This is a storm that was unexpected. Uh, There are many ways that they could tell maybe if a storm would be coming that day, but this storm, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the wind picks up and the rain begins to fall, and then there's lightning and the waves are getting so big, they begin to fear for their lives. These men, as seafaring men, they've dealt with rough waters before, but they realize that this one could be the big one. This could be it. So they begin to take everything that they can on board the ship, and they begin to throw it overboard. They cast everything that they can off to make the ship light enough to ride the waves. They begin to call out to their gods in number five. You see in verse number five, it says, uh, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his little G-God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. And as they begin to do that, someone decides, hey, we need to get a head count here. And they realize that they're missing one person. And they finally realize who they're missing. Oh, it's Jonah. Boy, I hope he didn't fall off the ship when the storm hit. Where do you think Jonah is? And they begin to try to find this passenger that's booked uh, booked passage with them. And they realize that Jonah is in the bottom of the ship. He's asleep still in the middle of a storm. Now, how many men, you can sleep through anything? My wife says I can sleep through anything. (laughs) She would know, I guess. Uh, Riley wakes up and she has to wake me up so I can help her. Otherwise, I'm, I'm out. But Jonah's out. He's asleep. He's gone. And before long, God begins to say, hey, Jonah, you need to wake up. The the men, excuse me, say, Jonah, you need to wake up. They wake up Jonah and say, hey, why don't you call on your God? Why don't you see if we can find some way to help us with this situation? And they get on top of the ship, and and when they've done everything that they can do, they decide, okay, now we got to find out why this is happening. This, This is not a normal storm. Uh, we've tried as hard as we can to get to land. We can't make any headway. Uh, we've made the ship light enough, but that might not even work. We need to figure out why the storm is here. And begin to cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. And I love the, the questions they begin to ask him in verse number 8. Uh, it's questions they probably wish they'd asked him before they let him on board the ship. It says, Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? Like, I feel like that would be a standard manifest question. Okay, you want passage with us, you know, who you work for, where you're from, you know, where you're going, all of that. But they didn't really ask him any of that. And he begins to tell them that I'm a Hebrew, that I serve the God of the land and the sea, which is where they're in trouble right now. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing we serve a God who made everything. It means no matter what situation we're in, it's not something he can't touch. Jonah here is saying, hey, I'm serving the God of heaven. And the men become afraid, and they ask this question. This is a very stunning question. Verse number 10, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah, why are you running away from your God? That would be a good question to ask ourselves today. Am I running away from God? If I am, why? He loves me. He died for me. He, he made everything. He's in control. I mean, you can't find a better God out in this world. Not, never mind one that exists, but God is the only God, right? But beyond that, if you wanted to find someone else to worship, there's no one else that could help you. God is there, a very present help in a time of need, the, Bible's, uh, the Bible says. But here, they ask him, Jonah, why are you running away from God? 
And say, okay, Jonah, what are we going to do now? How do we get out of this situation? We can't get back to land. So, Jonah, what do we do? Now, if it was you or me, what would our answer be? Let's turn the ship around. Let's get back to land. I'll go to Nineveh. But Jonah's answer is no. I'm not even getting any closer to Nineveh. You're going to have to drop me off here. Now, he's not in a car, right? He's in a boat. You're going to drop him off in the middle of the sea, in the middle of this giant storm. Does it sound like a death wish to you? Because it really does to me. Jonah's to the point that he is so not willing to go to Nineveh that he'd rather commit suicide or suicide by proxy at least. The men on board the ship realize this. They're not going to try to throw him overboard in verse number 13. Uh, they tried to get back to land. They said, okay, let's give it one more push. Maybe we can get back to land and, and drop him off there because this guy's nuts. He's insane. But they couldn't. And so verse number 14, they tell God, okay, God, we're throwing him overboard. Don't let him die. If he dies, it's not our fault, please, because he told us to do this. I mean, they're making sure they're covered because, I mean, who wants to kill the pastor, right? Nobody wants to kill the preacher. That's not what we signed up for, especially if God is already angry at you, right? And so they take up Jonah and they cast him forth into the sea, and immediately the sea ceases from a rage and it's calm. It's peaceful. I wonder if it was ever peaceful like that on a body of water until Jesus Christ says, peace be still in the New Testament. I think it was just calm. There's Jonah bobbing in the water. The men on board the ship look overboard. They see he's okay, and they get to land as fast as they can. But as they're going to land, they don't see what's happening behind them. This giant creature begins to swim around Jonah. Can you imagine being in the water, and, and you're looking down, and this giant black thing is kind of moving about you, and it's huge. It's big. Now we have a, so, a, song, a, a song theme for it, right? Da-dum, da-dum. All of a sudden, wham, this giant creature takes and swallows Jonah whole. I think it was that fast, just a split second, and Jonah is swallowed by this whale. The Bible says it's a fish here. Jesus in the New Testament called it a whale. And it wasn't just any whale that, God, that, that was there. God had prepared this fish for Jonah. He said, Jonah, I got this fish ready for you. You're going to take part in what I've got planned for you for the next couple of days. It swallows Jonah, and he's in the fish for three days and three nights. I'd like us to look at verse number one of chapter number two. Look at the first few words right there. It says, then Jonah prayed. Do you realize that Jonah is swallowed by a fish, a whale, and he doesn't utter a word one to God? He's inside of the whale for three days and three nights, and he doesn't say anything to God? Can you imagine that kind of a situation? For us, it'd be hard to fathom, right? As believers, if we had a, a crisis of these big type situations, like uh, say a dinosaur comes and rips the roof off and starts eating people, what would your reaction be? One, probably get a gun. Two would be, God, please help us and save us from this situation. Three would be, where did this dinosaur come from in the first place? But the first two, that's where we'd be at right now, okay? Our first reaction would, would be hopefully to pray. But Jonah's to the point that he's not even going to pray to God. In the greatest crisis that he's ever faced to this point in his life, tells me that for us as believers, man, it's really easy to be walking with God one day and all of a sudden God asks us to do something. If we start telling him no, it doesn't just stop at one no. It keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. And before long we realize we're facing a foreclosure, or we're facing a debt, or we're facing some kind of other situation in our life. Maybe we lost our job, or our family is sick, or some other thing. 
And our reaction isn't even to go to God. Our reaction isn't even to talk to God about it. We're going to figure it out on our own. That's where Jonah's at right now. He's walked so far from the Lord that he's not willing to even just talk to God about the situation. Three days and three nights. If you look at the, the, the belly of a creature that, they, uh, that, that this big that would be able to swallow a human, they say to be in the belly, uh, you'd, obviously you'd have the stomach acid that's eating you alive for those three days. But they say the inside temperature is 97 degrees 24-7. We're going to get up to 92 today. For me, that's plenty hot. And I, I know it gets w much warmer around here, but 97 is not a pleasant temperature to just be sitting in, let alone in a liquid of 97 for, for three days. Jonah's in this whale's belly, being eaten alive by the acid. It probably feels like fire on his skin. It's dark. He can't see. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. In, in, in many ways, this whale's belly is a very real representation of hell. What Jonah is living in is a very real representation. The closest that he's ever going to be to hell, as best we can tell, he's a believer. And even that for three days was not enough to get him to talk to God. Until finally, after three days, he turns to God and says, Okay, God. I'm going to surrender. And that's what the whole, whole of chapter 2 is, is about, is God, I've, I've faced all these things here in this well's belly, but I'm willing to surrender to you. I'll do what you want me to do. And in verse number 10, we find that God has the whale spit Jonah out on dry land. And God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I still have a work for you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh still. I still want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah has a choice. Okay, am I going to go to Nineveh or not? It's a long time to spend on the first point, but probably something that hangs us up the most is our surrender to God. For there to be revival as believers, we have to surrender to God's will. Now, there's no other way. There's no other, no other hope. You realize if, if we want to see California changed, if we want to see the United States changed, we as believers have to make the personal decision to be surrendered. If my wife and I want to see Ukraine changed, we have to be surrendered. Uh, if, if the sages want to see Mexico saved, they have to be surrendered. The people the Herberts are going to, uh, they have to be surrendered. We have to be surrendered if we're going to see revival. Jonah finally surrenders to God's will and he begins to go to Nineveh. And in verse number 3, it says, so Rona, uh, chapter 3, excuse me, verse number 3, So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Uh, that does not mean that it was three days from where he landed. Jonah would have landed on land next to water where a whale could be, and Nineveh is nowhere near that. Jonah would have had to walk at least a month or find some other uh, form of transportation, riding an animal or something, before he got to Nineveh from wherever he was spit out on land. So Jonah here has a month's journey ahead of him, and as he's pondering what God wants him to do there in Nineveh, he gets there, and when he gets there, this city is probably one of the largest he's ever seen. When it's talking about three days' journey, it would take you three days to walk around uh, the circumference of this ginormous city. And it makes sense because there's hundreds of thousands of people that live there, and they couldn't just build skyscrapers, right? In Ukraine, we have apartments everywhere, 16 stories, 8 stories, 32 stories. You know, we can fit a lot of people in a little bit of space, but there they're not building something that tall. And so you've got this huge just plain filled with this giant city and the walls and, and people living on the outside of it and people living on the inside. This is a big work. 
It's a big place to reach. And Jonah begins to go into the city a day's journey. And at the end of verse number 4, we find his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Can you imagine if, if preacher got up next Sunday and he's preaching and he only preaches an eight-word message? He'd be like, preacher, that's, that's short. I, my reservation of the restaurant isn't even ready. You can keep going. Oh, the game's not on yet. You can keep going, preacher. That's all right. I, I joke, of course. But Jonah's message isn't very long. Jonah's message is very, very short. Jonah's message really doesn't seem like it has any hope whatsoever. But somewhere along the line, these people realized the God that Jonah was serving. Verse number 5 they find a very, very, very interesting statement. It says, so the people of Nineveh believed Jonah because he was a really good speaker, right? Is that what that says? It says they believed Jonah because he, he dressed real fancy or he had a really neat PA system. No, it says, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Boy, if you want something to change somebody's life, just get them to believe God. It's, it's hard for me. I like to be right, and I want other people to acknowledge that I'm right. Ask my wife. She knows that about me. It's something hard. But as a believer, that's not our place. All we need is for them to believe God. They only have to believe everything I believe. Just as long as you believe God and you believe His Word, that'll change your life. That'll make a difference. That'll get them on the point to where God can work in their lives and see amazing, thing happen. amazing things happen. The people of Nineveh believed God. One message. And this hardened Wicked people. You think about it, that if you were looking in the Old Testament, what other cities do we have of an example that God had to destroy because of their wickedness? He couldn't just postpone it. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah probably first, right? That's the level that Nineveh is on before God. Sodom and Gomorrah and one message? That's like handing one tract. But boy, if it's got the right message on there, that's enough. That's enough. Here, this entire city believes God. They proclaim a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto, I love this, the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. If there had to be the hardest person in the entire city to reach, it would have to be the king of Nineveh. I mean, these are a tough people. And if you're going to rule a tough people, you have to be the toughest. I mean, he, he's probably survived uh, all sorts of attempts to, uh, to get rid of him as king because uh, they have no rules really to keep him back. They have no morality to keep him back. He has fought hard to keep his position. And, he's, and, and if you look in history, the man that they believe that was in charge when Nineveh came in would have made Hitler look tame. Just an atrocious, evil, wicked, hateful person. And yet even the king believed God. You know why that gives me hope? We have some leaders that we would say are wicked and backwards and against God that need to be saved. I think about this last election. I know uh, that, that things did not go out the way. There's a lot of questionable things that happened. But if you look at God and the things that he does throughout history, God is always about the big picture. And God is about bringing himself glory because it, it, it is his. He's supposed to receive all the glory. Which do you think, which scenario, if I were to give you two, do you think God would receive more glory for? Maybe we had President Trump for a while, another four years, and had some more change and had some more stuff that way. 
Or maybe we have a president that many of us would say is out of his mind, literally. And all of a sudden, halfway through his term or three quarters through his term, God decides to give him his mind back. And not only give him his mind back, give him a chance to repent and get saved. And he begins to declare to the U.S., God is the God of heaven and he has a message for you. You realize that that happened in the Bible? It happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He was king. He was in charge and God took his mind from him and he was a lunatic for years. And then God gave him his mind back when he was ready to get saved and then God gave him the kingdom back. Do you realize that there's no one out of God's reach? There's no one that God can't reach. And here with, the, with this message that God cares, that God is involved, that you've sinned against God, that God wants you to repent, these people come to God and they begin to ask God for forgiveness. They begin to get saved. That second part of revival, and we're moving really quick, is as a believer has to be surrendered, a believer has to take God's word to the lost. There's no, no, no chance for revival if we're just sitting here at church and we don't do anything throughout the week. We've got to take God's word to the lost. But lastly, verse number two of chapter four. Chapter four really feels like it, it doesn't even need to be there. If you look at it, at the end of chapter three, the entire city gets saved. That's a happy ending, right? Just end the book there. Just stop. That's what we do in the States, right? We write the movies with all the happy endings. And in Ukraine and Russia, they take them and they rewrite them so they all have sad endings. That's what we do. We reproduce and everything. Change the script. A guy gets there three seconds before and saves his daughter. In Ukraine, he would arrive three seconds after and didn't save his daughter, and that's just life. Like, that's the way that they do things. But here, God includes chapter number four for a very, very specific reason, number of reasons, but verse number two, I think, is probably, to me, the most important. Jonah's complaining to God, and look what he says. And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah's complaint against God is, God, I knew you were going to save him. God, I told you you were going to save him. When I was back in Israel, I didn't want to go because I knew that they would repent. I knew that they would get right with you. God, you were too good. You were too merciful. Does that not sound ridiculous? I feel ridiculous up here saying that, okay? But that's what Jonah is saying is, God, I knew that you were gracious, you're merciful, you're slow to anger, you're willing to forgive. God, ah, that's Jonah's spirit right now. And we look at that and we think, Jonah, you're a nutcase. Why don't you, can't you just be glad that God saved an entire city of Gentiles? Can't you just be glad that it was only one message and this entire city gets saved? I mean, think about the missionaries that have spent years in their cities and, and trying to see, and God uses you through one message to see this entire city, a capital city, get saved. Jonah, can't you just be happy? There's a lot of reason to get down on Jonah because Jonah's spirit isn't right. But there's something about Jonah that most of us overlook when we approach from that standpoint is that Jonah was... Sure, not a people person, did not love the people of Nineveh, but Jonah was a man of faith. You realize being in Israel, Jonah believed that God could save Nineveh. He believed that God could do something there if someone went and gave the message, but he hated them so much he didn't want to be the person to do it. You think about it, 
to look at someone on the street and know that God could save them if they just get one message, one message from God, but hate them enough to not want to give it to them. Jonah has a lot of bad things going on in his life. Very, Paul's very short in the terms of Christian character, we could say. There's something he wasn't short on in that respect. That's the third part of revival that we need. We need to be believers who are surrendered to God's will, who take God's word to the lost in faith. That means when we're handing out tracts, we don't look at someone and based on their appearance, decide in our minds already whether or not they're going to read it. We're just going to give God's word, and God said it's not going to come back void no matter what happens. Or we, we, we were in a drive-thru the other day, and I handed a tract to someone, and I, you know, I was like, okay, I, I hope that they read it. I pray that they read it. God's word is there. They looked at it real quick, and they handed it to a coworker. They didn't read it. Well, you know what? That coworker's probably going to read it. God's word still isn't going to come back void. God has something he's going to do with that. And anytime you and I take a step out to give God's word to the lost, we have to do it in faith. The Bible says that we walk not by sight, but by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you realize it's easy to displease God when you're out soul winning? When you're out there doing it without faith? Ah, no one's going to open the door today. Ah, they're not even going to read the track. It's probably going to land on the floor and and we'll have wasted money trying to give it to them. Or we could just approach it with a little bit of faith. Say, God, your word will not come back void. You promised it. God, I believe you. I believe you want to do something for this person. I believe you want to see them saved. If you were to look at the book of Jonah, God more than once breaks the rules of nature because he loves them. Sends a storm, sends a whale, keeps Jonah alive in the whale. Sends Jonah there. God did that one more time. He broke the rules of nature. And then he sent Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross for us. Two more times you could count his resurrection. I think it's, it's just amazing to me that God became flesh. Dwelt among us for the sole reason of saving sinners. He did that because he loves us. And that's the message we have to give. That, that, there's only one thing I want you to know. Really more than anything ever. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Thanks be to the Lord for your word today. And for Jonah, Lord, there were a lot of reasons maybe that we would have said, God, don't use him. He doesn't love you. He's not a good fit. But God, yeah, yeah, he, he can preach sometimes, but God, there's so many things wrong with him. God, help us to realize there's a lot of things wrong with him. The key to revival is that we are flesh with Jesus. That as, as, we, as we come around to you, we take your word to the lost, do it in faith that they might come to know you. Your word is not void. It's perfect. It's original. It can't damage us. It hasn't hurt us. And so today, the Lord, the, the amount of people on earth now that just focus on buildings and houses, they've got so much of the past of the people that have ever, have ever lived on this earth. 